Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. Uh, I want to do one more thing before we move into this testimony time. Uh, I, I don't know who's here with Debbie. Debbie, where are you sitting? Oh, right there. I was looking further back. Okay, so Tucker. Tucker's here. I knew I saw somebody come in, but I didn't know who. Uh, so, at church, I think most of you know if you are, are active on social media that we lost our dear friend, Neil Webb, this past Friday after a long battle with ALS. And um, Neil, if you knew him him. And he was one of the most loving men, I think, in our entire church. Uh, the, the friendships he has goes far beyond this church. Uh, many years working at Ingram and then later at, at Dave Ramsey's organization. And it amazed me every single time we had the chance to visit with Neil, especially this past week leading up to his passing, just the flow of people. Most of the people I'd never met in my life who were Neil and Debbie's friends. So we love you all so much. I want us to have a special prayer for the Webb family today. Tucker, I'm so glad you could be here. And then uh, I think we have a slide. Do we have a slide with the details of the arrangements? Can we put that up on the screen? Um, The memorial service for Neil uh, will be Tuesday, but there's visitation tomorrow, Monday, from 4 to 8 p.m. at a Hermitage Funeral Home. If you've never been up that way, it's, it's just down the road from where Andrew Jackson's Hermitage is. And so the visitation is tomorrow, and then the funeral, there'll be another visitation Tuesday from 10 to 12, but the service actually begins at noon on Tuesday. So we wanted to make you guys aware of that. Um, I'm not going to ask you all to stand up again, but if you're, some of you are part of Neil and Debbie's small group, uh, their hope group, if you guys would stand and move over by Neil and by Tucker, I want you all to lay hands on them as we pray for them uh, this morning as they transition into a really, it's going to be a busy couple of days, and uh, we love you so much. So, church, would you join me as we pray for Debbie and her family? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Neil Webb. And God, for many weeks now, uh, we've seen his progression just continue to get worse, But God, Debbie's faithfully helped God get him here in his wheelchair to be a part of worship at Hope. Many Sundays where God recently, he couldn't verbally communicate, he communicated with us through nods, through the look in his eyes, through a thumbs up when he could do that. And so Lord, as as was his prayer, even in his last days, he continued to love well. God, I thank you for his testimony. I thank you for his relationship with you. And I thank you so very much for his family. God, I thank you for Debbie. God, I I thank you for the amazing way you have overwhelmed her by showing all of your mercy and your grace and your strength. God, to give her a spirit of peace through a very difficult time. God, I thank you for Tucker and his family. I thank you for Abby and her family. I thank you for so many friends. God, for Neil's sisters, and Lord, as we prepare to walk alongside them, God, tomorrow at a visitation and Tuesday at a funeral, Lord, our prayers is just like Neil's Easter testimony. God, that the truth of your love and the gospel would be clear. God, that we would realize what really are the most important things in life. And God, that we would live every day a life pursuing you, loving you, loving people, God, and just proving it, living out our faith. So we thank you for, God, this precious family. God, show them all of your comfort now. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen, amen. All right, so we're gonna start this testimony time, and I made a list, and I don't have it memorized. Mike Murray, you're on your way. I think Mike was the the first on our list, so come on up. As Mike's coming, if you don't know Mike, um, Mike's, 
married to an amazing lady named Kelly. And God's, yeah, he's excited about it. God's given them a great family. And uh, Mike, I'm excited to hear you share this morning. Thank you, man. You know, I, I've been in radio for a lot of years. And uh, I can get on radio and talk to 100,000 people. But I get in front of a crowd of 200 and I'm just nervous as a cat in a rainstorm. So bear with me, will you? I wanted to tell you a little story that uh, starts with some scripture. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, says this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth and even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust the Lord. Now that scripture is underlined in dark bulb point pen in my dad's Bible. And although he's been in heaven for 18 years now, I reflect on with you the import of that text in my dad's life. Here's why. When I was two years old, we lived on a ranch in Washington State. We had 22 acres, and Dad had 15 head of cattle on that ranch. Dad was a part-time farmer. My dad was also a full-time telegraph operator for the railroad. People go, what in the world is that nowadays? Well, it was big back in the early 60s. Dad was full-time there at the railroad, and he worked from 4 p.m. to midnight every night. So he was home in the mornings much of the time working on the ranch during the day. My parents got married in 1952. My mother was a Christian. Dad was not. She went to church every week, taking me and my sisters. Dad stayed home. Their marriage was not perfect, and they fought a lot. Dad liked to drink, and he smoked, and he could cuss you clear in the next week. He was a former Navy man. Dad was small. He was five foot four, 145 pounds, but solid muscle with guns on his arms that could crack walnuts. He made it clear that he didn't want anything to do with church or that lazy pastor or those hypocrite men that attended that church. I am my own man, and that's the way it's going to be. He was tough impeccably clean and groomed, disciplined, square and level. But if you crossed him, look out and run. He could take you apart. You know, the church was growing, a lot like Hope is now. And they had uh, a building program starting. And they happened to locate five acres that was right across the property where our ranch was. Pretty interesting. This was 1963. Plans were laid, money was raised, and they bought the grounds, and they started building the church, putting in the foundation. There was this volunteer carpenter named Harvey Dirksen who came from Coos Bay, Oregon, spent the whole week, and then he'd go home on the weekends, four-hour drive, and he began building the single-handedly. And every day my dad would get up, start his ranch work after he'd worked till midnight at the train depot. He would see Harvey across the meadow working, sawing boards, hammering nails, building that church. Dad would ask mom, why aren't those lazy men in that church over there helping that poor man? He's doing all the work without any help. And mom would say, now Dale, all of those men that attend the church are in the woods or at the sawmill during the day working. You know that. He would shout, well, it ain't right. That man's having to do all that work. It just ain't right. And my mother was the glue that held our family together. She wisely would say, well, Dale, maybe you could go over there and help for a few hours here and there. I think he would welcome you. His name is Harvey Dirksen. Leaving the suggestion alone, the next thing she knew, Dad had donned his nail belt, put a measuring tape in and a carpenter pencil, and got his hammer and headed over to help Harvey. They struck up quite a friendship. Harvey was a rugged, tough little man, just like my dad, 
but he had a jolly laugh and a keen eye for woodworking. He designed the church to have 12 classrooms, a foyer, a nursery, a baptismal pool, a small stage, and it had seating for 200. This is in a town of 1,800 people. Dad liked Harvey. He was a man's man like my dad was. A lot of similarities, but Harvey was different. When, <laughs> when my dad would hit his finger with a hammer, expletives would fly from his mouth like the sailor he was. But when Harvey hit his finger with a hammer, he would react in pain and thank the Lord for the opportunity. Dad was baffled by this guy. The two worked together as a team. And for days on end, my mother recognized that Harvey was being a living witness to my dad. Not so much in words, but in deeds. She kept them supplied with thermists full of hot coffee and sacks of bologna sandwiches most every day that dad was over there. And then when lunchtime came around, they'd sit out and they'd talk. That's where my dad gave his life to Christ. Harvey him the way. He so wanted what Harvey had, the life and love of the Lord. He bowed his head and asked Jesus to come in. Everything changed. And it was for the good. Dad started taking us to church. He started giving money to the project. I think he sold one of the cattle we had and gave that money to the project. Probably two, three hundred bucks back in those days. That was a lot of money. He started tithing. This guy was tithing. He wouldn't give money to nothing. He started tithing. He quit smoking. He quit drinking. His language changed. It's such a, a dramatic demonstration to other unsafe family members that over the years, dozens of our family came to Christ because of what they saw change in Dale Murray's lives. My sisters got saved. I got saved in that church that my dad helped build. Hundreds of thousands of decisions Life decisions have been made in that place, and it still stands today. You ever wonder where you'd be if decisions in the past had not been made correctly? I don't think I'd be alive today had Dad not met Harvey. I thank God most every day for Harvey Dirksen. You too can be like Harvey, sharing God's love through your life with the people come into contact with. I used to say when I was a small boy, Kent, when I grow up, I'm going to be like Harvey. Let's all be like Harvey. If you've never met Beth, she always sits over here. Beth Rompilla um, became my friend several years ago, and uh, I'm so delighted that you're going to share a little testimony today. Thank you for doing this. You owe me. Yeah. <laughs> um, scripture has always been a big part of my life. I've raised four kids by myself, but life changed on May 16th in 2016. Um, I had been sick that year a lot, and I knew that I had cancer. I did not know what type. And as my daughter and I went and sat in the office, <clears throat> Dr. Brandis walked in after getting all my results. And as Dr. Brandis began to talk, Ephesians 6 started roaring through my brain. I mean, I could hear him, but I could hear God much more. Dr. Brandis says, you have an incurable blood cancer. And there's not a lot you can do. We're going to try and keep you in remission as long as we can. 
But as he's saying that, God is saying, Beth, you need to get your breastplate of righteousness on. You need to get your belt of truth on. You need to get your feet fitted with readiness. And you need to get your shield of faith. And I had no clue what that journey, that battle was that was coming. I knew a battle was coming. And I still don't know what's ahead of me. I didn't realize at that time it was going to involve six months of chemo, a bone marrow transplant. Two weeks ago, I had my 12th surgery. But I am so thankful for this journey. I am so thankful for the peace. And I've heard Shauna talk about this, that comes when you just say, God, it's yours. I am overwhelmed by the people that God has put in my life. Hugger, and all the people I've gotten to hug through this journey. It's funny, Mandy's not here today, but Mandy and Dr. Melvin, my surgeon, who's got to cut on me so many times, they have conversations about me. I bring them joy. You know, it's the little things in life. But does that mean I don't get tired? No. I get very tired. Does that mean I don't give up? No, there's many nights I say, God, just let me come home. But God says, no, you got to keep on going. But I'm thankful, and I am so blessed beyond measure. And I am so thankful for this scripture because this scripture has been with me every day of this journey. Here, stay here for a second. Let's, uh, let's just pray for Beth right now. If you'd reach a hand out towards her, we're going to pray. We continue to pray for complete healing, miraculous healing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my sister Beth. I thank you, God, that you've given her peace and you've grown her faith tremendously, Lord, in this journey. God, I think it's awesome that she is on this stage sharing her testimony because a few years ago she would have laughed at me and said, there ain't no way. And so that in itself is victory. So, God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would heal. God, we believe with all of our heart you can heal. And so, Lord, I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you for her walk on this journey. God, bless her. Heal her body. Continue to use her testimony for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Love you, girl. Come on out here, my brother. If you've never met Shelby Craig, Shelby's married to Jennifer. He definitely outpunted his coverage. Would you agree with me when you married her, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, okay. Thank and that's a good thing. They have three precious girls. Shelby, I'm so glad you're sharing today. Thank you yeah. for being here. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, today, so Kent said uh, in a text, will you guys share scripture or just how God's working uh, in your life? And I thought, man, I don't know. This has been a tough year. I don't really have anything to share. And then driving home yesterday, I looked at my wife and I said, gosh, I just feel like I need to tell the story of um, just our journey through foster care um, and how God has shown up through a little girl named Bella. And I don't typically cry when I speak, so there we go. Um, so you know how important this is. I want to start by saying we, when we were in marriage, um, well, not counseling, premarital counseling, we've been in marriage counseling, we'll get to that in a minute, but... Um, because that's what foster care does. Um, so we, um, in premarital counseling, we were at a conference called Weekend to Remember. It's one of our favorite things to go to. We've been three or four times now. And we, there's a date night that happens. And it had been on my heart for a long time to adopt or to foster or to bring children into our home is some way, somehow. It was not on Jennifer's radar. And... Um, and so we're at a uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman third day concert at Starwood Amphitheater. We're kicking it old school. Um, rest in peace, Starwood. And so we were there, and they, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman, if you know his story, is very adamant about adoption, especially overseas international. And so there's hundreds of, like, I, I feel like hundreds of thousands of people, probably not that many, but th at least thousands of people. And we're walking out. We, we're on our date night. We've heard the stories. We're walking out. And this guy 
I see him in my peripheral vision, and I'm like, I'm about to take a guy out because he's going to rob me. Um, and he, he's coming straight for me. And I'm like, I looked at my wife. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And he said, hey, excuse me, have you guys ever thought about um, adopting? And I'm like, there are thousands of people around here. Why are you beelining for me, mister? You about got jacked. Like, this is crazy. Like, and so he just comes through the crowd, and we're like, yeah, we thought about it, but thanks. Uh, we're, we're, we're just on a date night, and we don't want to talk about it. And he handed us some literature. Fast forward um, through years of uh, we going to church and being in ministry, and this question kept coming up. Have you guys ever thought about fostering or adopting? Yeah, 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 we'll get to that, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Literally, for 10 years, have you guys ever thought about fostering and adopting? And we just thought, my gosh. Um, and so my wife comes to me one day, and she goes, honey, have you ever thought about, like, fostering or adopting? I'm like, have you not been with me for the last 10 years? Um, and it, she asked that question, and we said yes. And um, this statistic sticks out to me because in, as a former pastor and youth pastor and being in ministry, this blew my mind. And then I'll get to the, 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 the tensions that come with this. But I heard this statistic, and this kind of this put us over the edge, that if one family, there, let's backtrack, there's 400,000 orphans right now in the United States. I'm sorry, that's wrong. There's 400,000 churches in America right now. There's 100,000 orphans in the United States right now in the foster care system or kids who don't have a home. And this statistic just sealed the deal. That if one family, you, and this, maybe it's you, sitting in this congregation, out of every four churches in America, not one out of every four families in this congregation, but one family here out of the other four churches down Waldron Road would just say yes to adopting one child, there would be zero orphans in the United States. And so we thought, well, can we do our part? And so we entered the foster care system and, um, and began fostering. And we got a young girl named Bella who is amazing and precious, and the gospel shines bright through her um, because we were able to say yes. But with that, I wanted to share some things um, with you out of this um, the tensions of foster care and adopting to show you the evidence and the power of the sovereignty and the gospel and the grace of God. There's a constant feeling like it's hard and that we can't do it while also believing that it's hard, which is exactly why we do it. Um, it's the fear of loving a child that we may have to let go, um, coupled with the fear of a child never knowing what it's felt like to be held. It's the crippling weight of brokenness confronted by the healing power of beauty and redemption. It's the awareness that we don't have what it takes, balanced by the belief that God doesn't expect us to have what it takes. It's the longing to love these kids fearlessly as our own, tempered by the hope that one day they'll actually return back to their parents. The anger we feel towards abuse and neglect, balanced by the love that we give towards those who perpetuate it. It's the conviction to keep coming back because somehow it feels like we're choosing it more than it's choosing us. It's the overwhelming feeling of not being in control of anything met by the steady hope that God is sovereign over everything. It's the sense that sometimes most wrong, that's when it feels the most right. And the joy of seeing new things formed from old, struck by the heartache that any of this is even happening in the first place. The desire to methodically produce a certain set of outcomes tempered by the reality that it's okay that we can't. The aspiration to live a life of ease, comfort, and calm confronted by the conviction that in the end, there's no time for that. Foster care, adoption has so much tensions and it's only clarified by one resounding beacon of hope. That in the end, God has the capacity to produce unending beauty out of the unspeakable brokenness. He has the ability to bring clarity out of confusion and hope filled with things out of hard things. And this is where the gospel is made most rich and tangible and evident, not with the guarantee that any of the tensions will be easy, but in the hope that all of it will be worth it. None of this is ever possible without the gospel. God doesn't have the capacity to supersede all the apparent tensions and contradictions of hope and loss and joy and sorrow and clarity 
and confusion and somehow despite all of that, but through all of that, bring beauty and redemption and restoration to these kids' lives. So that one day these hard things will not be the final things, these confusing things will not be the final things, and these broken things will not be the final things. But the tension dissipates and contradicts cease. And everything that is wrong will one day be made right. And even but a glimpse of the right now, the tension and the conflict of all that is wrong is actually worth it. These kids are worth it. The Bible never promises that following Jesus will be easy. It does, however, absolutely guarantee the following will be worth it. Galatians 6, 9 encourages us to not become weary in doing good, but at the proper time we will reap the harvest if, not, if we do not give up. Our hope is that our present struggles are not the end of the story, but simply the means to a greater glory that has been promised to all of us through Jesus. The good news of the gospel and foster care is that in the end, Jesus wins. Even if along the way we wonder why we're doing this and if we can handle it anymore, what we are doing is not in vain. It will be hard, but it will also be worth it. And I don't know if any of you have ever contemplated fostering or adopting. We've had four children in our home. We had Bella, which we had the honored last Christmas to be able to adopt, and I can be her friend. We had Sierra, which many of you have met, which was a 16-year-old wild girl who came in our house like a tornado and left our hearts just completely bonded with her. Two young ladies, one, four, who entered our home, and 16, who will forever call me dad. I'm the only dad they've ever known. And then two young boys who we only had for 72 hours, which was the hardest 72 hours of my life, but who did not want to come into my home but cling to me as they left. They hated me in the beginning and didn't want to be left behind as they went back to DCS. If you've ever thought about fostering, let me encourage you, please say yes. Because if one out of you, out of the four churches in this state, just said yes, there would be zero orphans in the United States. And in Tennessee, there's 362 kids who could be in your home tomorrow if you were just willing to say yes. That's my story of foster care. That is the story of the gospel through a little child named Bella. That is the story of brokenness and redemption. It's the story of hope and restoration. Let me just say from the bottom of my heart of my wife and I, thank you for being our village. As Hope Fellowship, you've supported us. As Hope Fellowship, you've encouraged us. As Hope Fellowship, you have loved us. As Hope Fellowship, you have been there when it's hard. You've been there when it's easy. And I just want to say thank you for being there, period. You're an amazing church. We love you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. What a powerful testimony. Thank you so much, Shelby. Justin, are you next? I was trying to pick up my notes. If you've never met Justin Terrio, uh, this is Justin. He's married to Deanna. They have three precious children. God's done, always done amazing things in your life, and he's really has opened up some big doors recently, but I'm excited for you to share with us today, Justin. Thank cool. you. Thanks, Kent. How are y'all doing? Good. What's up, Tyshawn? Um, if you don't know me, it's because I work with the students, with Jared, um, and then mainly sit over here with all of the, the young adults, with all these babies, that all these baby waves just keep on coming, and it's pretty crazy, but that's a blessing to our church, right? Um, my story is a little bit a little bit different because 2019 has kind of just been a whirlwind. Um, if you know me at all, I've been in the veterinary industry for the past 10 years, um, and I'm transitioning out of that. For the past two years, I've worked part-time with First Priority, which is public school campus ministry. Um, and it's a lot more difficult in Rutherford County than other counties. Uh, just because it's, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of territory uh, battles with church, it just, just crazy stuff happens. And uh, we've been living that out part-time for the past two years, and it's been really difficult because everything that we have coming in income-wise was fundraised. Uh, so we had to completely rely on the Lord. And that's something that I've never had to do before um, in that way. And that sounds horrible. 
But that was me. I was the guy who worked my way up from the lowest of the low at an animal hospital all the way up to running my own animal hospital, making salary for the first time. I was like, Deanna, we're making it, you know. We have three little kids, um, which is great. And then the first year of being in that position, the Lord says, are you willing to give it to me? <sighs> that was really hard for me because at that point, I had, the Lord had blessed me in my work, but I still filtered it through me, which was the wrong mindset. And it was really hard. And I was struggling, and I told my wife about it and the opportunity to step down, go back to being just a pet nurse, and transition into ministry. And I really, to be honest, I kind of didn't want to because we were finally a little comfortable for the first time in our life. And uh, Deanna looked at me and said, you have to do it. You absolutely have to do it. Yes, we're going to take a huge pay cut. It'll work out. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you really do speak through your sp the spouse, you know, because uh, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Deanna pushing me and encouraging me. So 2019 was just hard. We had a new baby, little Hayden, who was five months on Christmas. And uh, we have two toddlers, Gemma and Jasper. So we've got four, three, and five months. Um, yes, we know how it works. Um, <laughs> they're, they're the best. But we just had a lot. We had a lot going on. And uh, I was talking to Deanna and really the kind of our, our year verse for 2019 was Matthew 6. And I'm going to read it here in a minute, but I just kind of want to preface, like, when Kent told me that we're doing a testimony night, like, I got really excited, even before he asked me to speak, which it's really fun and it's great, but a wise man once told me that testimonies actually release the spirit of prophecy. So you can actually claim someone else's testimony and pray into that and claim it in your own life. So all of these stories that we're hearing, all of these wonderful things that God is doing in people's lives you can actually claim for yourself. You know, if you hear a story of hope and redemption or um, having amazing character and turning and turning and turning to the Lord, you can actually claim that in your own life. So I'd really encourage you, church, to really just cling to what everyone says and, and claim it as your own. That These, these services are meant to encourage. Um, and it's super cool. So Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. It says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about his own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And that was just huge. Um, it's really cool. I've told this story to my friends and to some of the students that I help lead, but when you can look back at a year and say that you knew God by a new name in that year, that's got to be a good year. And my family actually knew him as Jehovah Jireh, um, which is God our provider. And it was actually, that came from back when um, the Lord provided the ram. Um, when, uh, when Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. And uh, it's just really cool. It's been the craziest thing, not knowing where 
<laughs> meals are going to come from, not knowing how bills are going to get paid, not knowing, you know, if rent's going to be paid on time this month, you know. But I can honestly say that, like, my family's never gone without what we needed. And uh, the Lord has also just abundantly blessed my family. We've been blessed with good health, with the little ones, with Deanna. We were given a minivan, which is crazy, you know, which we really needed. <laughs> um, so God knows. He knows exactly what you need. The thing is, you got to differentiate between if what you need is what you want or is it really what you need. Um, so be faithful. Uh, be steadfast. Be patient. And uh, God's going to work everything out if you're faithful to him and if you put him first, which we try. Doesn't always happen, but we try. So thank you. Thank you so much, man. Love you. All right, are y'all enjoying this? Man, I'm loving this. This is great. We've had four incredible testimonies. We've got three more. Bill Thaw, come on out, brother. Oh, boy. There you go, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Oh, first things first. There you go. All right. Got to get used to that. Um, you know, when Kent texted me about asking if I would be interested in doing this, um, my immediate response to my heart was yes. But the response I gave to him, I said I had to think about it. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And um, all these different topics and ideas came to my head. And I just kept praying and searching and praying and searching. And then it all came together this morning. And uh, as you know, God is so good at doing just when you need him. He's right there on time. And um, it was, I guess the icing on the cake was when Justin just said something about hope and redemption, because that's me. Um, I had the opportunity, I guess about eight years ago, to share my testimony in this place. And I'm going to share a little bit more about it, or share about it again, um, so you can understand what I'm about to, to share with you. Um, I am a picture of redemption. Um, without getting into all the gory details, on March 30th, 1984, I went into a drug treatment center. I weighed 119 pounds. Just look at me minus 76 pounds right now, if you can picture that. I've been awake for 17 days. Um, let's put all that aside. That's, that was God's first opportunity to communicate with me. I had um, grown up, I, I'd gone to church um, my dad's side of the family was Catholic. My mom's side of the family was, I jokingly say, was uh, Bible-thumping Southern Baptist because God was going to get me for everything that I did. And that's basically, you know, how I grew up, afraid of God. And by the time I was an adult, I didn't want anything to do with him. So um, when I did go into treatment, I went into a coma. I woke up three days later and... Just amazingly, there was a man sitting on the bed next to me as if he knew when I was going to wake up. And he said, are you ready to get better now? I said, yes, I am. And um, they introduced me to a 12-step 12 12 program, and it talked about God, and I didn't really want anything to do with God. But they told me that I could make God anything I wanted it to be. It could be a chair in a meeting. It could be a matchbook. It could be whatever I wanted. And at the time, I needed. But I didn't understand. So I want to fast forward to October 22 years ago. Um, I was corporate chef of a restaurant group. I was in charge of 19 restaurants. Um, smoking two to three packs of cigarettes a day, drinking coffee like it was going out of style, and walked into work one day. This particular week, I had worked 108 hours. And I had a heart attack. Didn't know what was going on. Knew something was very wrong. and drove my stupid self to the hospital. Um, 
Hunter, my youngest son, was not quite a month old yet. That's when God got my attention. Um, it's true what they say about your whole life passing before your eyes when you think you're dying. Um, hopefully nobody else has experienced that, but it was pretty scary. But amazingly, everything that I thought about pertained to my family and to my loved ones. And um, it was shortly after that that I came to know the Lord within days. And after several months of digging, um, I really wasn't getting anywhere with my relationship with him because I didn't know about a relationship with him. I knew about a God that we talked about in church, regardless of the denomination. It was just, it was just something that was distant. Um, I went into my garage, and uh, I was just going down to smoke and gather my thoughts, and I yelled out something to God. And I heard just as clear as you hear my voice right now, be patient with me as I have been patient with you. I promise you, there was nobody in my house. There was a dog in my garage, but let's leave that story alone. <laughs> All I said was, what? And he said it again. So I began to seek the Lord in a completely different way. And... I quickly realized that I wanted a different son. I have two sons. Uh, Hunter's now 22. Justin just turned 32 weeks ago. And I came across scripture. And let me get there for a second. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. It said, whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have whatever we ask of him. Which led me to Deuteronomy 29, 29, that says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but those that he reveals to us belong to us and to our children forever. I began to search him and search the scriptures to see what promise I could hold on to for my children. And he took took me to what is still to this day one of the greatest scriptures in my heart. Isaiah 54, 13. It says, My children shall be taught by the Lord, and great is the peace of my children. It says, shall be, but I made it say is, because faith is always in the present tense. That began to be my prayer for my children every day. To brag on God... Hunter is in his last year of college. Amazingly, from kindergarten through his senior year, God is my witness, 13 years of perfect attendance. Um, no, we didn't send him to school sick. <laughs> Just the way God worked everything out. Um, Dean's list, honor, I mean, all that stuff. Okay, I was a high school dropout. I can't relate to that. And, um, and then Justin did a tour in Afghanistan as Marine. And um, we stood on this scripture, and we also stood on Isaiah 54, 17, and no weapon formed against us shall prosper. To really show you God's glory in that situation, when Justin went over with his platoon, he was transferred to two other platoons during his tour in Afghanistan. Now keep in mind, he's a weapon specialist. Justin never fired his weapon in Afghanistan and never saw combat. And on the day that he returned, only six members of his platoon were still alive. God protected that boy. Amazing. He is so incredible. He is so faithful. He is so true to his word. 
and I can't speak for anybody else, but I've had to come to realize that the only trust that we have is the truth in him and his word. And if it's, as for me, if I can't find it in his word, I don't have any right to believe it. But once I do find it, and it becomes alive to me, and I believe that word, and I base my prayer on that word, it's mine. And I promise you, it's the same for you. All you have to do is trust him. Guys, I love you. I'm so grateful to be part of this family. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Matt Loving uh, is, is going to share next, and um, I've grown to love this guy and his family as well. I feel like I'm a broken record, but I appreciate you sharing today, Matt, and uh, thank you for taking a few minutes to do this for us. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Kent, and thank you, uh, Hope, for Hope Fellowship Church family. Um, I'm going to keep it very brief, um, but I think what uh, the word that the Lord gave me to share today uh, from 2 Corinthians just really matches uh, right in line with all the things that everyone has shared today about the characteristics of Jesus and who he is and how he transforms us. Um, not really going to share uh, because there's so many details of what God has done, uh, particularly in the last seven years uh, since my family, my wife and I and our four kids, and all of you know them, we're thankful that you do and how you love them. Uh, we moved here seven years ago, um, left similar to Justin's uh, testimony, uh, secure income and working on church staff in Mississippi to come here in obedience to what the Lord was asking us to do, something very uh, uncomfortable, something very new, and that was to be part of a, a mission organization where we would be more behind the scenes and uh, be training uh, young people to do mission work here in Nashville. And God has given us a wonderful opportunity to, through training them to also experience uh, what it's like to reach out to international refugees that live here in Middle Tennessee. And um, these are all things that we never expected, pursued on our own, or could have dreamed of, but it's definitely been better. And this is why. Not because it's mission work, but because of the character of Christ. And that's what I want you to hear this morning, that uh, there's a way that he works in our life if we will let him. That's very different than our, our own logic. Uh, but Second Corinthians, the very first chapter, chapter 1, if you want to look there, there's a few verses that talks about how God is the God of all comfort. I think it's something we think about a little more at this time of year with Christmas and peace on earth and those kinds of things. But there's a specific way that Christians, those who have given their life to Christ, are able to experience a depth of comfort. And it only happens one way. And Second uh, Corinthians tells us this. It says, it gives credit to God, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus, because he's the Father of all compassion, and he is the God of all comfort. It's not comfort like the world gives. It's not based on emotions or situations or nice words to say. He is the God of all comfort. It comes from him. And it goes on to say, this God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort that we receive from him. That's the only way this works. goes on to say, just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, we learn to recognize them, we accept them, uh, no matter how much it feels like inconvenience or interruptions in our plans and our ideas, when we say, Lord, you really have full control of my life, what is going to be to one day at a time, I will do and I will be, and I will let even sufferings that you allow, different than just troubles you have in the world, specific things that you want to cause in many of your lives as well, to grow a character of Christ within you, that's, that's what he's talking about, those sufferings. For just as those sufferings of Christ flow into your lives, so also 
through Christ, our comfort then will overflow. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Because it produces in you patient endurance. My prayer for you is that you would indeed experience the comfort of Christ. But I do want to challenge you uh, in this encouragement. It's a little bit of a warning to know that his comfort's different than what you think. It involves a suffering. But the suffering has a, has a purpose. It's the type of suffering that if you will cooperate with the Lord and his direction of your life, it will create a Christ-likeness about you. And then that verse says what happens. That Christ-likeness in each of you is what other people need. And it can flow out of you to them. Whether it's uh, your crazy family member that you don't want to spend time with, but God keeps pushing you to spend time with them. Your next-door neighbor, a co-worker, an international refugee, someone in this church family, whoever it is, out of you can flow the comfort of Christ to that person and meet them, their deepest need, exactly where they need it met the most. With not our comfort, not our idea of comfort, but it's the complete and total full comfort of God himself, the God of all comfort. And that's my prayer for you this morning, Hope Fellowship. That's my challenge to you, is to begin to ask God uh, to show you his comfort and to be ready for it. And to be ready to serve with that same comfort. He gives you whatever he may ask of you. Uh, because he absolutely knows what is best for your life. So that uh, he can produce his good in you. And he gets all the glory. Because that's the real goal after all of life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Jesus is good and he's faithful. Um, give him your life to the new imagine. And it will be worth it, I promise you. His word promises it. Thank you, Hope Fellowship, for being a church family uh, to my family and I these last seven years. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That was awesome. All right. We're about to have a tag team. Sean and Kayla Justice, a precious family God brought our way. We're so glad you guys are here to share your story, your testimony. Thank you. Like you said, I'm Sean. Um, if you liked worship today because it was quiet, you can thank me because I was not back on the drums. So, um, We wanted to share a verse with you that's become kind of our cornerstone verse for really the past half year. Um, it's Lamentations 3.32, and it's even if he, he being the Lord, causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. And our, uh, our suffering came about the end of June when we found out that my wife, who was pregnant, um, we went to the doctor to hear our baby's heartbeat, and they, they couldn't find it. Um, that suffering of finding out that your child that you would love that you hadn't even met yet had passed. Um, just the pain of sitting in that, that hospital room, not knowing what's going on, you know, why could God do this to us? Here, here we had felt the call to start a family, and, and we had a miscarriage. Um, the miscarriage wasn't even just a, I, I hate to say normal miscarriage, but it was one that could cause a lot of complications. It's called a partial molar. Um, that increases your risk of cancer. That increases the risk of if they don't do surgery and remove everything, then it can grow back um, and cause hormonal issues that, Next time you test positive for pregnancy, you don't even know if you're pregnant or if that's just that, the cancer coming back. Um, so it was, it was kind of a one-two punch. Uh, we, we were told we had to wait. We had to wait three months after we had gotten multiple checks, uh, hormone, hormone level checks to make sure that my wife was okay. Um, at that time, we were confused we were lost, and we were very, very angry. So he, he, he was suffering. Though if you read verse uh, 33, he does not enjoy to bring affliction or suffering on mankind. But he will show the compassion. And our compassion came immediately when we saw the body of Christ, Hope Fellowship Church, mobilize 
and really just pour out their love on us. I mean, we, we didn't have to cook a meal. We didn't have to worry about not having a shoulder to cry on to have support and prayer. You know, that, was, that was Christ there showing his compassion. We also saw the compassion in our jobs, that we both had flexible enough jobs that we could take care of all of this, that we could call our bosses that day and say, I'm not coming in and I, I don't know when I'll be back. And instead of being fired or any other thing, they, they said, take your time. He had his compassion when we found out that there's been no lasting medical issues for my wife, that the doctor that performed the surgery told me that it was going to be 40 to 50 minutes and 20 minutes after I left my wife's side, she was standing at my side saying, everything's fine. We, we took care of everything. The ultimate compassion right now is that my wife, even though we were supposed to wait, is 14 weeks pregnant at this point. And that everything, everything that could have gone wrong with this pregnancy has not. Um, we've been to a lot of doctor's appointments. We've had a lot of extra ultrasounds, and they said that everything is looking perfect, that they're not worried about anything. And then I think to his abundance of faithful love and compassion and that ultimate mercy that he gave us, and that's the gospel. You know, 1 Timothy 1.15 says that this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. And we were once slave to sin. And even in that time, we felt the call of anger and of wrath and just to sit in that. But we know that Jesus came and lived that life and died so that we're no longer slaves to that sin. That I no longer have to worry about just this life and hoping that this life is the best. That we can focus on heaven. That we know that when we get there, we'll have the ultimate rest. That we'll see our child again that we never got to meet here. And that we no longer have to worry about just struggling here. You know, our ultimate Sabbath and our ultimate rest that Jesus calls us into is when he draws us home. And I, I like to think of how often we're struggling against these waves of life, worried that it's going to dash us into the rocks. And if only we'd turn around and remember Hebrews 13, 5, that he'll never abandon us. He'll never let us go. And that those rocks, the, those rocks that we're scared of hitting, that's the rock of ages. That's Jesus Christ. You know, that's the rock of ages that was cleft for me. And instead of fighting and wasting my time and living chained into this anger, I can say that God's glory has been poured out more than any of the suffering that we've ever faced. And that the gospel has really comforted us, and it can comfort anyone who really believes in it. Thank you. I want to I want to honor our time together today, but I also don't want to ignore that the Holy Spirit may be prompting someone else to share. Uh, so I, I said that at the beginning of the service. If there's someone else that wants to share, kids have done pretty good today. Would you agree with me? I'm, I'm not sitting out where you are, but My wife sent me a text. I can't, it's hard for me to text with my wife when I'm sitting on the stage. I think Shauna does want to share quickly and then we'll, we'll wrap up after this. Thank you, honey. Okay, Ken had asked me about sharing and I was like, I don't know. I don't think I have anything beneficial. I don't think there's anything there. And so I'd pray, he said, I'll pray about it. I prayed about it. And then even this morning, I just, it's just like God started giving me things as I was, I'm getting ready, and I'm like, am I supposed to share that? That's silly. Uh, and then I texted and said, okay. And I, wanted to, I came up to tell him this morning that I would, and then he was busy, and so I was just like, okay, I'm fine. I'm probably not supposed to. And then I'm like, okay, I will. And then when he started saying that, I was like, no. So I'm sitting down here going, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going, trying to shake my head. No, no, it's, there's no time. Go. And then he does that, and so I'm like, okay, I need to just go up there. So I'll try to be quickly, or uh, quick. Um, Kent and I have had the opportunity um, over years, I guess we used to do it more often, but again, in the last year or so, to, to lead some marriage conferences. And um, one of the things that has just really stuck out to me is um, 
we, we say that marriage, um, a good marriage doesn't just happen. Um, you get to create it. And so I was thinking about that with life. And I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? Um, so it has been crazy. You know, I've had a lot of health things. I think about all of you that God keeps adding babies to your family. And I think God keeps adding, or I don't think God does. I think I keep adding autoimmune diseases to my life right now um, and just continue to have crazy health things happening. Um, but through it all, and I look at all the different things in life that we've gone through and the different changes we've had, and I look back to how, um, you know, when we first got married and I stayed home and had babies, and I stayed home for 20 years and homeschooled our kids, and um, then Sarah came along and life changed for us, and there were different things. And then we decided to plant a church, and in order to plant a church, Kent lost insurance and benefits and so I had to go to work and so I went to work to a full-time job for the first time in 20 years and how life changed and um, you know church planning hasn't looked like I used to think I was the youth minister's wife for years and I got to be so involved and be you know just right there in ministry and then when we planted a church um, and I went to work I, I haven't got to be what I always thought I would be as a pastor's wife But I've seen my husband get to stand up and be what God wanted him to be as he's led this church. And I'm thankful um, that I've gotten to be a part of that. And it's been different than what I thought it would look like. Um, and I was thinking through all of this this morning and how that even with... Um, you know, different sicknesses that I've had over the years and different things, through that God had to use all of it. He's continued to give me opportunities to minister to people in a different way. And um, through words, mine hasn't been through action sometimes as much as I used to, as I'd wanted it to be, as my life had been in the past. I was more active through that. But God has given me opportunity in words, um, And I was thinking about this, you know, I've never had that word for the year. And last year, I chose a word of joy, to choose joy in all circumstances. I didn't know what those circumstances would be over that year. Um, you know, my dad's been sick, so going back and forth to Oklahoma to see them. Um, but I've seen joy. I've seen joy in their lives. I've seen being able to, to bring joy, um, to, to have joy in different circumstances through, again, you know, being sick the last couple months. Um, I found joy. Um, this year, my word is still. I want to be still and hear from God. And uh, I've gotten to be still the last two months, way more still than I wanted to be. Um, but I've been still. And that's my goal for the next year is just to be still. And as I was thinking of recreating your life when your life looks different than you thought it was going to look. I thought, you know, God is a God of second chances. He's a God of third and fourth chances. And I think um, sometimes that's just in our life as believers that we need to just stop and look at what our life looks like. How do we create that? How do we use that for his glory? How do we use where we are in our circumstances? Sometimes it's, it's sin Sometimes we need repentance. Um, repentance isn't always um, turning from sin. Sometimes it's just running to God. And um, so that's kind of my prayer for our church this year is that we run to God. Um, that whatever our circumstances are, whatever is surrounding us, that we would just run to God. Um, I think we've done a pretty incredible job of loving God and loving people and proving it. And um, I pray that we do that in this new year and that um, we get to recreate that life, though. Um, Jared and Emily were talking this week, a new thing called contagious faith, they said. And um, that's what I want. I want to have that faith 
that others see in me. Maybe it's not in my actions, and I'm sorry when I'm not as active in doing the things I want to do. Um, but I pray that others see in me a faith that is contagious. And I pray that for you all, that in those people surrounding you, you know, we sing about that song, those just sharing that love with those around you, the love that God has given us, that you would share that with those around you, that they would see in you something different, that they would see that faith and that it would be contagious. Um, I love you, church, and I love you for loving my family and loving us so well. Thank you. Let me invite you guys to stand. Let's stand together. And if you'd reach out as best you can and grab the hand of the person sitting next to you. Some of you are like, what is he doing? I, growing up, this is how we closed out every church service I grew up in. We don't do it as much anymore, but I want us to pray. Uh, we are family, and I'm so thankful for each of you. I'm thankful for these testimonies. And the truth is, we could have listened to testimonies for about the next two or three hours. But thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray together as we go. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for your unconditional love for us through your son, Jesus. Because it's in and through Jesus that every testimony we've heard this morning has been made possible. Lives have been transformed. And God, our prayer is that we wouldn't keep this to ourselves, but God, as, as we've heard this morning, we want it to be contagious. We desire that you would use us to bring light into a dark world. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises. Thank, thank you, Lord, for the way we see you again and again providing. God, thank you for every person in this room. I pray that these testimonies would be words of encouragement to this body. God, that it may edify each of us as we transition from 2019 into 2020. God, we believe with all of our heart you do have a great and mighty plan for each of us as individuals, for our families, and for our church. So be faithful to listen to you, to spend time in your word, and to follow you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.